Hebrews chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Let us pray. Father, just ask you, Lord, to take your word and wing it home to every heart. Glorify your Son. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. This is Riches of the New Covenant, part four. And we've covered quite a bit of ground. And we have been looking at um, some of the old covenants right to the new covenant and of course the new covenant is the new testament the new covenant but is mentioned as new covenant in both the old and in the new testaments jeremiah 31 30 verses 31 to 33 uh, we hear of the new covenant that would be made and it is uh, mentioned again in hebrews chapter 8 and we're told that the new covenant over all the other covenants would be we'd have a more excellent ministry. We would have the mediator of a better covenant. That, so it would be a better covenant with a mediator. And thirdly, it would be established upon, upon better promises. And of course, Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him. Amen. That is in our Lord Jesus Christ. The man and woman who are under the new covenant, that is those who have come to the fountain of blood and were washed in the blood, redeemed with precious blood and filled by the Holy Ghost. Not only are forgiven, but there are many things that entail in the new covenant. Sidelights off that we have done is from Ephesians 1 and 7, how we looked at we, uh, in whom we have, that is in the Lord Jesus, redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according, notice, to the riches of his grace. The covenant or the new covenant is the covenant of grace where unworthy sinners are unable to keep the covenant even in our reading here from Hebrews 12 and verse 20 says, For they could not endure that which was commanded. We couldn't endure the commandments, couldn't keep the commandments. We break them every day. And so we are sinners, we are condemned by the law because it says, this is what we must do. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And being human in itself alone, we are unable to keep that first commandment. And then, of course, we have another nine after that. So we break the commandments. Grace is that Christ kept the commandments of the Lord to a perfect T, 
dotted the I if you want. Every jot and tittle of the law. Christ kept it. And everything is done away in him as it were. But the law of God, the commandments are written upon our hearts and in our minds. We are liberated, set free from the bondage and the curse of the law. But it's written in our hearts and our minds. So we, are, we receive the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Or in other words, the word, remember, according means, gives the idea of something that is dominating something. It means down. So the, 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 according to the dominance of God's grace, the riches of his grace, it means that we are forgiven because his grace is so plenteous and bountiful. And then we also look, if you remember, that we are accepted in the beloved. We're looking through the alphabet A, accepted in the beloved. The beloved being our Lord Jesus Christ. We also looked last week, we have the riches of his grace and the riches of his goodness. And how God was withholding wrath until uh, his people are brought under the covenant and are cleansed in the blood. Let's go straight into this this morning then. And let's go straight into the alphabet and we'll, we'll do a little more next week. So we looked at A, we are accepted in the beloved. So here is B. Turn with me to 1 John please. 1 John. And go to 1 John chapter 5. And listen to what John says. In verse 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, or the anointed, the Messiah, is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that begat loveth him, also that is begotten of him. Wow, what does that mean? (laughs) Every one of us who believe that Jesus is from God and is God. Every one of us that believe that Christ is the anointed one of Yahweh, Jehovah. Every one of us that believe that Christ is the one and only Savior. Every one of us who have received him as Lord, personal Savior. Every one of us, we are born of God. So there's your B. A is accepted in the beloved in the new covenant. B in the new covenant, you are born of God. Okay, everyone that is a believer is born of God. Turn with me again, please, to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1. As I said, this will be a little like a Bible study as we go through these weeks. John, chapter 1, please. And verse 12. But as many as received him, that is, received the Lord Jesus Christ... As many as received him to them, give he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe in his name, which were born. How were we born? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. B is, in the new covenant, we are born of God, born again. In John chapter 3 we have Nicodemus coming to our Lord at night. And our Lord tells Nicodemus he is a a Pharisee. He is a Jewish, I'll put it in brackets, church leader. And he comes to the Lord at night. The Lord tells him that 
Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he tells him in John chapter 3 and verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse 7 he says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must, you must be born again. Born again. So this morning, in the new covenant, all of us who are trusting in Christ, we are born again. Born again means we are given a new nature. How do we know that? Turn with me, first of all, to Ephesians chapter 2. We want to look at the old nature before we look at the new nature. Ephesians chapter 2, please. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, according to, where in past time ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now I see the word according. We've heard that word before. Gives the idea of down, dominance, control. So let's look at it. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. You were dominated. You were controlled by the things of this world. According to the prince of the power of the earth, or the air, rather. In other words, you were dominated by the prince of the power of the air. You were controlled by the prince of the power of the air. You were under bondage by the prince of the power of the air. In other words, Satan himself had you under his bondage, under his control, under his dominance and under his power. That's who you and I were before we come to know Christ. Here the idea is, and you hath he quickened, he hath made alive, he has reanimated that animation, that fellowship, communion that, we, that Adam walked with the Lord in the garden with was lost in the sin, and we were dead in our trespasses, dead as dead could be. The devil had dominance over us, control over us, We walked according to his will, according to his ways, and according to the ways of this world. It controlled our lives. You know, there are people out there, and they think, well, say out there, I mean, outside these four walls. Unsaved, that's what I mean. And when they're out there, they'll look at us in here, inside these four walls. They'll look at us who are in Christ, and they say, well, if you're a Christian, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't go here and you can't go there and, you know, it binds you and makes you tight that you, you, you can't live a life. That's how they see us. But yet, they are the ones who are in bondage to the devil. They're the ones who are in bondage to the prince of the power of the air. They're the ones who are dominated by him, controlled by him, and by the things of this world. That's why there's addictions. That's why they're taken in chains by him. That's why they cannot help themselves. Because it's according to the prince of the power of the air. They are in bondage and in chains. But isn't it good to know this morning that he whom the sun sets free shall be free indeed. So in Christ this morning, you and I, 
Not that we cannot do this and we cannot do that and we cannot go here and we cannot go there. We're free from doing this and that and going here and there. We're free from that bondage. We're liberated in Christ. You and I are freer than any man and any other woman from any other form of religion. We have relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have relationship with the living God. And we are reanimated, made alive unto God. And we have abundant life and eternal life in Christ. So that's what our life was. And those who are outside of Christ or the unsaved, they are still dominated by the prince of the power of the air. Let us read it again. We're in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The word disobedience can mean the impersuasible or the unpersuasible. In other words, we cannot persuade them for they are dominated. You know when you go to speak to your loved one, see they're dead in their sin. And they're dominated and controlled by the enemy. And here's the thing, Christian. Many Christians allow themselves to be dominated by the devil when he has no claim or right over you. You belong to Christ when you're washed in the blood. You are a child of the living God. Let's read verse 3. Among whom, that's among those children of disobedience, among whom also, notice, we all had our conversation The word conversation means our lifestyles, we live like they did. We did what they did. So in other words, in Christ, we do not do what they do. And we do not live how they live. We live our life according to holiness and righteousness, dominated by the grace of God. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past, Notice, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You and I were just like them. No better. The word nature, I have told you this before, but when you get these into, you hear them time and time again, you're able to... to, to see who we are and to see who God is. You're able to find strength in it. You're able to be encouraged in your faith through it. The word nature here is the word phusis. And it means by lineal descent. When Adam sinned, we all fell. When he fell, we fell. It means lineal descent. It means germination. We see there's a few people away. Maybe... Someone keeled up in bed today through germination. Bugs and coughs and flus and things. Germination. Adam's germs became our germs. That's the idea of it. So here we were in our nature. Not that we came and we sinned and it made us unsaved. Not that we came and we sinned and it made us unrighteous. It's not that we came and we sinned and it made us a sinner. Even in our mother's very womb, we had Adam's nature. We had Adam's germs. We had Adam's lineal descent. And we were fallen before we were born. Sinning does not make you a sinner. 
You sin because you are a sinner. It's our nature. Our nature as human beings is, uh, its natural course is to go downward, to look inward, to be fleshy and to be carnal, to feed the man of the now. That is who every man is. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. Here the word phusus means that you and I have the nature. We were born in Adam. And we were dead in our sins. And the Lord quickened us and made us alive. Now, flick over with me to first, second Peter rather, second Peter please. Second Peter chapter 1. Listen to what Peter says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained, notice, like precious faith. That's you and I. With us through the righteousness of God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. God's power has given us life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby we are, whereby are given unto us exceeding great, notice, and precious promises. That's those that are yea and amen in Christ. Given to us exceeding great and precious promises that, the, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What is Peter saying? That through the power of God coming on you, through the power of God coming upon me, through the power of God, the Spirit of the living God, speaking to us one day, stirring up our hearts, imparting faith to us, the gifts of God, the promises of God, putting them within our spiritual breasts. He says, God has drawn us with irresistible grace under the new covenant of blood. And he now has placed within us exceeding great and precious promises from the new covenant of Christ's death. And notice what he says here. He says that ye might be partakers of the divine nature. What is the word nature? It's the same word which Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. We were by nature the children of wrath, Paul says. Here Peter says that ye might be partakers of the divine nature, the divine phusus. In other words, Peter is saying that when you get saved, when you are truly born again, you are in your flesh, you have the nature of, the lineal descent, the genes of Adam, he says, but when you come into Christ, you partake of the divine nature. He makes you different. The divine nature is being born of God, born again. In other words, the old nature, and you have the new nature. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And you become born of God. Now here's the thing for you to remember. And people don't, 
People argue about this, but I'll tell you exactly where I stand. Now let me tell you, many of the children have went up to crash there. When your children are born, are they always your children? Of course they are. And when your children are born, can they suddenly be unborn? No, they can't be unborn. They're your children. And in the same way, when you are truly born again, you can't be unborn again. When you're Christ's, you're Christ's. And you're his for eternity. Here we have, we are born of God. Be born of God. Turn with me for the last one and this, on this point to the book of Romans, please. Book of Romans, and let your eye run down. Chapter 5, sorry. And let your eye run down. The verse tw- uh, 12, please. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, that is Adam, and death by sin, that's on you and I, and so death passed upon all men for all of sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So now we know where we are with God. It is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. We see that we are unable to keep God's law. So it's our schoolmaster realizing we need someone greater, someone bigger, someone to interfere and to get involved in our situation, in our life. For we are lost. We are It's called the depravity, the total depravity of human nature. The total depravity of human nature means that you and I as human beings, we have a total incapability to save ourselves. No matter what you do, you cannot save yourself. And it is called the total depravity of human nature. Let's read on. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. See the word reigned. It takes the the form of a personification there. It means that death reigned or death personifies itself over mankind. And death personifies itself and rules or dominates mankind. Death was the great ruler of man because of Adam's sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, that is Adam, we are dead in Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded to many. So when you and I are in Christ, we are born again, we are born of God, we are made alive, we are quickened by the Spirit, we are a child of God, we are His for all eternity. That's who you are this morning, in the new covenant of Christ. That is the covenant of blood. Let's go to another letter, let's go see, because of the full alphabet, and I'll just keep flicking through, let's go to C this morning, okay? Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. 
First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 2, please. Let your eye run down this morning. This is the letter C. The Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which and I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now every believer that is in the new covenant or comes under the new covenant, the covenant of grace or the covenant of blood, the covenant of Christ. The letter C is A, accepted in the beloved. B, born of God. C, we are crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Now when we talk about this, it speaks of consecration and it speaks of sanctification. In other words, when we're saved, we are set apart. When we are saved, we are once and for all, I mean saved, I'm not talking about a whim. I'm not talking about a hand in the air and go out and live like a devil. I'm talking about saved, being truly born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood. When we are saved, we are consecrated. It's like a, a, a pathway, it's like a roadway that will not be moved. That's who you are. Consecrated. You belong to God. You are His. Consecrated. When we talk of sanctification, it is a process of living your lifestyle according to the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? And it's being separated for Christ, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now notice this. When we think of Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. We easily think of consecration and separation. But Paul is pointing out, he's pointing out a lot more, uh, something more powerful if you want to put it than that. Paul is speaking of not just the sanctification or the consecration, but the power behind the consecration and the sanctification. You see, a man can try and clean up his life and a woman can try and clean up her life and they can try and do their best. But our best is never good enough. But it takes something more powerful or someone more powerful. And Paul, when he looks at the cross, you can be religious, you can be denominationalized, you can be, do good works, you can try great things, you can be a nice person, but you know, it's never, ever good enough. And Paul now looks at what changes his life, what sets his life apart, what makes him different, what causes him to have power in his life. And you know what he comes up with? It's not the consecration or the separation, but the power of the consecration and the separation, and he mentions it, the crucified Christ. The power of God's, Paul's consecration and separation is the crucified Christ. Every time he thinks of Christ on the cross, every time he looks at the blood that he shed, every time Paul realizes the redemption that has been had in Christ, and he has come under that covenant, away from the old covenants, all fulfilled the promises of God are yea and amen in him. He sees the power of the crucified Christ. He says, Christ died for me. I think 
a lot of people, a lot of times, a lot of churches, a, a lot of Christians, they don't appreciate the power of the crucified Christ. Comes a story to many of us, becomes a ritual to break bread and take from the cup. It's just something we do. But when Christ died on the cross, it wasn't, he was crucified in the, as it were, in the weakness of his flesh, in the sense that they could nail him to the tree. But what they didn't realize, the crucified Christ is the power of God on the salvation. And Paul, looking at the cross, even as we sang this morning, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt and all my pride. Here Paul looks at the crucified Christ and sees the power of God and the power for his life, the power for his, of his consecration. For when Christ died, God had given Paul to Christ from before the foundation of the world. Paul had given you to Christ from before the foundation of the world. Or God had given you to Christ. And here Paul looks at it and he says, God had this planned and purpose that before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a saviour in heaven and he came and was nailed to the tree for me. And Paul sees it and he says, if he died for me, then his power is in me and it belongs to me. He says, I believe and I trust in the crucified Christ. That's the new covenant. He sees it all wrapped up in that man on the cross. Now here's the thing. When he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Gives a sense of a past action having present results. And Paul looks and sees his works and observance of the ceremonial laws was unable to win God's favor. But God freely gave. He writes in Romans 5 of the free gift. The free gift with a free gift. Read it when you go home. The free gift of salvation with the free gift of his son. Paul sees him and he says that's the power for my life. And if God has planned that and purposed that for me, he says, then he has set me apart after calling me, making me alive. He says, and I am in Christ and I live in him and he lives in me. That's Paul's consecration. It's a a past action having present results. Now Paul sees the cross of Christ and realizes that all the work of love and grace that was necessary to save him was on the cross or the death of the Lord Jesus. And here's the thing. I am crucified with Christ and nevertheless I live, yet not I, I, but Christ which liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul sees the death of the crucified Christ. And death brings finality. So what do I mean? Here is Paul's reckoning in this and it should be for your life and for mine try and make this uh, uh, illustrate this in the simplest way that I can Paul sees 
that Christ has died. And when he looks at that, death is a complete break from this life. A separation. When you lose a loved one and you're watching them and they drift off, close their eyes on death, and the doctor pronounces them dead, they won't react to you again. They won't speak to you again. You can take them and try and waken them, but they won't waken again. And when they're buried, that's them gone. And when you start moving on with your life, your mind casts back. And the more your mind casts back, you realize the the whole immensity of it. You realize they really are gone. See, the the human mind has a way to, to deal with things where in our mind we know they're gone, but we think maybe they're only away on holidays or they're away for a period of time in that sense. But suddenly we get this idea and it comes so real to us It's almost like an epiphany for you think the light bulb comes on above the head. They really are gone. You've seen them go into the grave. You've tried to talk to them. You've tried to give them a shake as it were. And there's nothing in return. They're dead. They're gone. And that reality that they're really truly gone means that it's a complete break. sense that this is what Paul is saying in this verse when Christ died on the cross all my sin all my thoughts the things that I had done my conversation or my complete lifestyle my past my present, and even my future. It's all laid on him. And when he died, the ceremonial law of man trying to achieve and attain salvation by works, by ritual, by ceremony, by animal sacrifice. He says when he died, animal sacrifice, temple worship, ceremonies, my sin, was taken away just like the one whom you lay in the grave and will never return and some of us we get saved and we say but Lord I remember this and the devil brings something up in your past well then you remind the devil of his future and give him your testimony and say I was born again. I am crucified with Christ. He took my sin and my sorrows. And he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And suffered and died alone. He went to the tomb. Into the grave. And he carried my sin away from me. 
He took the law, the ritual, the temple worship, the good works that every man would try to do for salvation. And he says, no more. It is not accepted. It's only by faith relying on the crucified Christ. And that is the power of it. For he was resurrected from the dead. That's the new life. And as Christ lives, so will you and I. Paul remembers himself in the sense he looks back in one place and he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was an Israelite. He says, I I was of the Jewish religion. I was a Pharisee. As as touching the law, blameless in all this ceremony. He says, but I, when I'm looking at salvation, I count it as dung. In other words, he's saying, it means nothing to me if I don't have Christ. The power of my life, the power of consecration, being set apart and being God's for eternity. And sanctification being led by him in holiness of life. And kept by the power of God is under the new covenant. Under the fountain of blood. Paul's power was the power of the revelation of the cross. The power of the blood of the lamb. The power of God's sacrifice, the lamb. That sacrifice ends all other sacrifices. And looking at these things, Paul says... Power of the crucified Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Paul now realizes Paul must die to himself. And be alive in his own skin. Be alive in his own flesh. And it gives the idea of someone living out their life through someone else. Christ now, he says, lives out his life through Paul. Would you allow Christ to live out his life through you this morning? Be his hands. Will you be his feet? Die to self and live for Christ. Because when we die to self, that means we are really putting it away never to return. When we live for Christ, it's Christ living in me. I finish with this. Thank you for your attention. Reverend Cole, in his commentary, says when Paul looks at the crucified Christ, he says, Paul had, I quote him, a reorientation of thought. Paul had a reorientation of thought, ceremony, ritual. I was serving Yahweh. I was serving God by destroying the church and so on. Christ arrests him and the crucified Christ starts to live out his life in Paul. And that death that brings the finality like laying that person that we love in the grave as Paul starts to walk with the Lord he starts realizing it's a different life. It's a different walk. It's a new beginning. You're born again, born of God. You're crucified with Christ. The power is the crucified Christ. And every day he walks, suddenly he gets the idea. He gets the realization. And he looks back and he says, I'm free from my sin. I'm free 
from the ceremony. I'm free from the ritual. I'm free. I'm liberated. The chains have gone. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life was I now I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. He had a reorientation of thought. You know what that means? It's a nice way of saying Paul repented. He had a change of mind. He had a change of heart. Accepted in the beloved is A, B, born of God, and C, crucified with Christ. Next week is D. What is it? Tell next week. We'll tell you. We're getting there. God bless us this morning.